Big snowstorm, huh? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Not yet. Thanks, Michelle. I hope you've had some chance to play. Maybe we'll get more chances to play in the snow. I, and I, you know, I kind of had to laugh a little bit. This is going to sound like an old man kind of thing, but when you guys, you got Monday off, right? Is that right? You got Monday off? And I had, this is the thought, I'll be honest, this is the thought went through my head. Back in the day when I was a student at Western, we didn't never got that Monday off. Like, you know, 10 feet of snow, walking five miles to class uphill, walking five miles back uphill. And so, but anyway, but I am, I'm, I hope you got to enjoy it. I hope we can enjoy some more of it. Um, and we're glad you're here. So my name's David. Um, there's kind of a little bit of feedback here, so I don't know if you guys can get that or not. But, um, and I'm on staff, and I have the joy of serving you. That's what the pastoral staff, that's who we are. We're your servants. We're first servants of God, but that means then we're your servants. So we're just uh, glad you're here. And so we're here, um, and a special welcome to our visitors and guests. We're, we're glad you could make it. So we're in this series titled Related. Um, where we're kind of talking through these key relationships that we find ourselves in and kind of God's vision and, and how we can kind of grow and move forward in these relationships. So last week we started kind of a, a mini two-part mini-series on family and we talked about parents. And so tonight we're going to continue the family theme and we're going to talk about sibling relationships. Mm. Ooh. Now, so how many of us here have siblings? Just raise your hand. Okay, so great. You can put it down. How many of your siblings maybe even here? There's a few of you. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, all right. So now if you're here and you don't have a sibling, you can leave. No, I'm just joking. No, don't, don't leave. I'm, I'm really joking. Because even if you don't have a sibling, you're your only child... Um, the, the things we're going to talk about will certainly apply to probably your family in general or maybe to some of your friendships or just certain relationships. Because we're going to talk siblings, but these can be stuff we're going to talk about will relate to our families and just close relationships, okay? So um, I thought to kind of get us going, I share an old family photo of me circa 84, 85. Yeah, right? Wow, that's crazy. So that's probably, I'm probably about 18, 19, somewhere right in there. And so, yeah, there's, uh, so that's me in the very back. And then my one sister, Linda, on the right. And Jen in front of me sporting the, the rainbow sweater, okay? And then my, my parents. So there's my siblings. And then I thought I'd show one more photo f- for you. These are of my, uh, my two oldest sons when they were young, Josiah on the left and Bennett on the right. So there you go. Uh, if you know Bennett, he was here, and he was always a bit of a chubster. So I can say that. He was 10'5 when he was born, so boom. Yeah, so take that. So anyway... So that just kind of gets us in, into, the, into the sibling mode, okay? Um, and I think when it comes to sibling 
relationships. I'm sure there's kind of a spectrum represented here. Some of you have wonderful relationships with your siblings. You would say pretty good relationships, or at least with one or a few, or maybe even all of them. And others of you would say, hmm, not so much. Okay, hopefully it's not the ones that are here, but that's okay. It's all right, you know. In fact, some of you are painfully aware of of some, maybe even a present tension or conflict uh, that you're experiencing with a sibling or maybe a family member, uh, even at this moment. This is a live issue, this issue of siblings and and relating to them. And whether even if you have good sibling or good family relationships, I think every sibling relationship, every family uh, has some, I would say, deep currents of dysfunction and brokenness that definitely will erupt to the surface at, at times throughout your life. It's certainly true for me. I, I've been thinking about my own family growing up, and there's, there is some drama. There's some drama for your mama in some of... <laughs> one of my siblings' relationship. I won't go into it because they might listen. I hope they would listen to this. They might not, but, you know. Um, but it's true. It, and so what's, it's interesting, if you've not read the Bible, I encourage you to read the Bible, but if you have read the Bible, you'll be very aware that in the opening chapters of the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, really we're getting this story about a, a family, a multi-generational family that is quite broken, it's filled with fear and anger and jealousy and favoritism and dysfunction. I mean, when you, when you read it at one level, it's just this kind of a telenovela. I mean, it is just a, a soap opera, right? It's just, whoa, this is crazy stuff. would make a good Netflix series. I'm sure they've probably done it, okay? <clears throat> and yet, I think as authors write that story of that family, they're also writing another story, and it's the story of God's care and involvement with this broken family. And I think it's a, it's a story of where individuals are transformed. It's a story of where siblings are restored. It's a beautiful story. And so tonight we're going to look at a small chapter in this family story. And my hope is that as we do that, that we'll be able to see the possibility of another story, God's story being interwoven into the story of our family, whatever your family story, your family drama, your family soap opera is, that God is weaving his story into it. Because I'm convinced, one, God loves families. He made them. And God wants to heal families. But I also know that the healing of family relationships will require us to change. All real healing, I think, involves change. That we're going to be asked to allow God's deep transforming work in our own lives as a way to finding healing and restoration with our siblings or parents or maybe it's just your roommate, you know, okay? So, um, so tonight we're going to take a look at two brothers, Jacob and Esau, and they were part of this initial family that God says, I'm going to pick you, this family, you guys are messed up, I'm going to pick you all and, and I'm going to work with you. And through you, I'm going to begin to do the rescue of the whole world. And so that's the family these people are part of. Now, if you were at winter camp, how I many were at winter camp a few weeks ago? Yeah. So, so our speaker, Stefa, preached on Jacob and Esau. And as she started, I was like, oh, snap. I'm like already into this sermon. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. I'm ready to do it. 
I was ready to jet it, but I thought, no, I'm going to do it because we'll take a slightly different direction. We'll finish the story. I don't think it ever got finished in her sermon, so we'll finish the story. And I think we're going to find some helpful stuff there, okay? So if you have your Bibles, you can open it to Genesis. That one's easy. It's the first book of the Bible, okay? So just open it right there. And that story uh, is found in Genesis chapter 25 through 33. It's a long story. We're not going to read it. Thank goodness. I'll do a lot of summarizing of it. But there'll be some key points we'll look at, some key passages. And those, of course, I'll make sure that the words get on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Okay? So, Jacob and Esau. And again, if you're at camp, some of this will feel like a little bit of review, but that's okay. Okay? So right away as we read the story of this family we realize that this is one very messed up, dysfunctional family, okay? Jacob and Esau, both their immediate family and their extended family, is incredibly broken. There's generational issues going on. Do you ever have generational stuff in your family that kind of seems to kind of plague the family? Well, these guys definitely had it. There was family secrets. There was this practice of not being honest not telling truth. I know that would never happen in any of our families. There's, and favoritism is a huge issue. In fact, uh, the dad, who is Isaac, he favors Esau, who is the firstborn twin. The mom, Rebecca, she favors Jacob. Now, how many of you think that your parents had favorites? Uh, how many of you think that you were one of the favored? <clears throat> yes. Uh huh. When I, um, I kid you not, my my mom at one time, my mom one time told me, "I'm so glad, David, we had you. You are so special." And it was kind of like a comparison thing. And you know, uh, I made the mistake of telling Shelley, my wife, who then told her brothers, my brothers-in-law. I have five brothers-in-law, and they just, they just. They took that to me all the time and said, oh, David, you're the special one. You're the special one. As they drove me to the ground and pounded me and all that kind of fun stuff. So, so favoritism, okay? So that's a real big issue, and we'll see that come up in our story. And, of course, Jacob and Esau, they have a very messy, conflicted relationship with each other. Obviously, favoritism will do that. Um, they're twins, but they're very different, right? So we learned uh, Jacob, the secondborn, is uh, fair. He likes to stay at home. He's a good cook. So the iron chef, that's kind of his deal there. So, so there's Jacob over there. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then Esau, who is the firstborn. We're told he's hairy and a rugged outdoorsman, and he likes to hunt. So it's kind of duck dynasty and bear grills meat. And so... Yeah, there's Esau over there. Facebook, uh, their profile pictures right there, okay? So, but beyond these just obvious differences, <clears throat> there's a, much of the tension and conflict that arises between these two is the result of what I'd say is Jacob's unscrupulous ambition that will just lead him to all kinds of acts of manipulation and, and deception in order to kind of get what he wants. So we're told at one point in the story that, uh, that Jacob manages to get Esau to sign over his birthright. Okay? And, and again, if you're a camp, you remember that the birthright was, 
was this, this custom that the firstborn, in this case just seconds before, you know, Esau's born before Jacob, but he is the firstborn, that he would get a double portion of the inheritance. So if you had two boys, you'd, you'd divide the inheritance in thirds. Esau gets two portions and Jacob gets one. That's just how it rolls, right? Any firstborns? Ah, yeah, okay. So that's how it rolled. But Jacob connives at a way to get Esau to sign over his birthright. He, he preys on Esau's um, kind of thick-headedness and um, his weakness and his impulsiveness, and he gets him to sign over uh, his birthright with his great cooking skills. You'll have to read the story for yourself to find all the details, okay? <clears throat> the, thing, the other thing that really kind of blows up the family and really drives a wedge between Jacob and Esau is when Jacob steals his father's prophetic blessing that was intended for Esau. This blessing, there was this, this, this tradition, kind of this prophetic blessing that the father would give to the firstborn son. And it really was this spiritual blessing and uh, giving him spiritual leadership in the family. And it was a huge deal. And typically went to the firstborn. And really, once it was uttered, it couldn't be taken away. Whoever it was given to, that's who got it. And so Jacob, in the story, you find out that Jacob, remember, father favors Esau, okay, firstborn. Mother favors Jacob, but father holds the blessing, right? And Jacob is just desperate and starving for the love and the intention of his father. But his father's always eyes towards Esau. And you get this sense that there's this, 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 Drivenness in Jacob to, to, to belong and to be, you know, loved, the favored one like Esau was. And so Jacob, at the encouragement of his mother, uh, takes advantage of his elderly father, you know, his age and his poor eyesight and he's nearing death. And so they, they con- concoct a plan where Jacob will dress up like Esau, pretend to be him, make him some of the favorite stew that Esau would make. And then get the blessing. And so Jacob's able to pull this thing off. And the blessing is given to Jacob instead of Esau. Much to Isaac's chagrin when he finds out in distress. And much to Esau's anger when he finds out. Now I just want to pause there and we'll pick up the story in just a sec. But um, I, want just to, I want us to think a little bit about uh, our own lives because I think it's often the case that our early, um, early in our childhood, as we relate with siblings and with parents, um, when we face deep disappointments or hurts, um, when we face things that are kind of unmet longings in our life, that oftentimes these things lead us to what I'm going to call the sinful patterns of relationship or broken strategies of, of surviving and trying to get the things we want. It certainly led Jacob that way. So it could be that we've, you know, uh, we've learned to kind of navigate our broken family or sibling or parent relationships by dishonesty. Or we've learned to try to, to, to get what we want by controlling others. Or maybe by running away and avoiding conflict. Or maybe we, we grew up in a situation that caused us to deep mistrust. And so we have this pattern, almost an unconscious pattern of mistrusting people. 
Or it could be, I'm the martyr, I'm the victim. And we kind of grow up that way. Or, or always needing to please others. Or always needing to be right. And, and here's, it's kind of, here's kind of my theory. That these broken strategies and patterns that we develop early on in our childhood, we tend to then often subconsciously carry those into our adult lives. And they become kind of, at some levels, the broken patterns of how we just simply relate with people. In our everyday world. And I think that much of what God is trying to do, I think we'll see it in the story, but I think what he's trying to do in our, in our own lives is transform us, is to help us recognize and then turn away from these broken patterns of relationship. I think some of these get played out in our sibling relationships. I think some of these get played out in your roommate relationships or all kinds of relationships. And I think the key for own personal growth, spiritual growth, and I think the key for healing and seeing restoration in our families is beginning to recognize these patterns in our own life and begin to turn away from them. So we'll pick that up a bit in Jacob's story and then in ours. So back to our story. So Esau finds out that Jacob has, has stolen the blessing. And it can't be revoked. It's a crazy thing. It just can't be revoked. He's like, well, give, give me one. He's like, I can't. I already gave it. To your brother, I'm sorry, I give you one. And you go read it, and it's not a really very nice one. It's like, ah, oh, you're going to live far away, and you're going to serve your brother, and it's, it's going to kind of suck for you. I'm sorry. And so Esau, we're told the only thing that will bring him consolation is thinking of the day when he can kill Jacob. Out of respect for his father, he'll wait till his father dies, and then he will kill Jacob. And that's the only thing that gives them any source of consolation. Now, that's a tough sibling relationship going on there, right? Jacob has to run away because he finds it out. And the mother says, you better get out of here. Your brother's going to kill you. Jacob runs away to Uncle Laban in a faraway country. And it's the last, the day he leaves home is the last day he ever sees his mom or his dad alive. I mean, the whole family is blown up. A lot of because of Jacob's stuff that he's doing. And so we get the picture. This is a very fractured and broken family and a very conflicted uh, and toxic relationship between Jacob and Esau. So just let's pause. Now we're kind of going deep. We're going to bring up some good news here, okay? But here's a question for us to just think about in our own lives. Is there a relationship with a sibling or a parent that is broken and that is in need of healing tonight for you. And there doesn't have to be. And I'm, you know, I'm not, don't make it up, but is there? Is there a relationship that maybe you're running away from or one that just feels toxic or that consumes you with worry or anxiety or anger or bitterness? And are there broken patterns and strategies that characterize that relationship or that characterize you in that relationship? Are there things you've become aware of? Like, this is a broken way how I deal with stuff. You know, in my life, I've realized part of it is my broken pattern is I just don't deal with stuff. I'm just going to do my own thing. Eh, issue here. I'll go over here. You know, it was funny. When, when, I, when Shelly and I were first married, I'm a conflict avoider. My wife is not a conflict avoider. And so when there was a conflict, I would just leave and go to the other room and think, done. And I would turn around, and she was there. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to this room. I turn around, she's there. 
Well, marriage has a great way of showing you your broken patterns of relationship. And I certainly began to discover one that I didn't, had, hadn't really realized, but began to realize. We all have them. I think becoming aware and letting God into that is the key. Okay? Because here's our thought again. God cares about family. God wants to heal our families and our family relationships with our siblings and parents and, and, and others. But the challenge is that means I'm going to have to change. You're going to have to change. God's going to drum stuff up in you about the broken patterns of how you relate. So that he can transform you. And bring something new and wonderful into those relationships. So, back to our story. 20 years later, we find Jacob. Okay, so he's run away to Uncle Laban. He's still living far away from home. Now he's married. He's got a few wives. Kind of different system back then. Uh, he's got a bundle of kids. He's amassed great wealth. And through those years with Uncle Laban, God's been at work in Jacob. Basically, God's like, hey, you know your scheming, conniving ways? I'm going to give you a taste of your own medicine. It's called Uncle Laban. And he's going to screw with you. And it was a rough road for Jacob. It was a rough road. But he began, I think God began to do, uh, began that transforming work. Then we get to a critical part in the story in Jacob's journey, in his personal life, and with his family relationships. It says that God comes to Jacob and tells him, and we have the words up here, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. I, you know, I'm just imagining when Jacob heard that word from the Lord. I think it was both simultaneously something he really longed for. <clears throat> He'd been far away from home, both distance-wise, but obviously, you know, relationship-wise with his brother. But I think it was also something he dreaded. I think that could be true for us. We both longed to be in a, in a real, vital vibrant relationship with a sibling or family member, but we also dread what, how to, to do that. It just seems, you know, crazy or impossible or difficult. And so this path that God's laying out for Jacob, uh, it's going to be a path that would lead to his personal transformation uh, and a healing of his relationship with his brother Esau. But it was going to be a very hard path. The last thing Jacob knew is that Esau just wanted to kill him. Next time... Brother Esau sees Jacob, I'm going to kill you. That's just it. I hate you so much. That, that's, the, that's the toxicity of this relationship. Jacob knew going back to Esau, one, it was probably dangerous, but I think it was also the challenge was that he was going to have to face some of his greatest fears, and he was going to have to face some of his greatest failures. I think he'd been on a 20-year journey of facing both fears and his own failures. And I think this stuff with family and siblings and stuff, it's, it's true for us. It's so hard because a lot of it is we have to face our fears and our failures when we start to do business with, with siblings and with family. Deep personal transformation means I have to face fears and failures. And it takes great courage. And it's no wonder that God says to, to Jacob, and I will be with you. And I think we need to hear that. Some of us need to hear that tonight with certain sibling issues or family issues. 
God saying, I'll be with you. It will not be easy. You're going to have to change. You're going to have to maybe deeply have a different mindset and a different way of relating. You're going to have to break some old patterns and habits, but I will be with you. This is the good news that God brings to Jacob and that he brings to us in our families. And so Jacob, he picks up his stuff, he packs it up, and he leaves. But before he arrives, goes home, and on his way home, he sends some messengers ahead to kind of get Esau ready. It's kind of the Facebook message, email, hey, I'm coming home for Christmas. Love to hang out with you. You know, that kind of message, right? The messengers are going, okay? And the messengers then return, and this is what they, this is what they tell Jacob. We went to your brother Esau. And now he's coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. Oh, man. 400? Wow. I mean, you shoot me once. You don't need to shoot me 400 times. I mean, my goodness, right? I mean, can you imagine what's going on in, in Jacob's mind? The, the panic and the, what is, what's going to happen? Esau has not forgotten 20 years The grudge has grown to gigantic proportions. He's bringing 400 men to do me in. So Jacob, he he, he got it. Okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Okay, he'll divide his family and all of his servants and stuff and and catalog into two groups, kind of separate them. And like, well, he can only get half of us, I guess. And, you know, and then he prays and he asks God to intervene on what may be a very potentially deadly reunion with his brother. But he's committed because God has told him, go back. I think God was saying that to some of us. You're going to go back. This has to be made right. This, has to, this relationship needs to be restored. But it can feel overwhelming and, and fearful. And so Jacob, having done what he could do, getting everybody kind of over into the different places across this river. Jacob then just has a night alone where he's by himself and he's waiting. He knows the next day, brother Esau is going to arrive. And as he waits, God shows up in a very unusual way. And so we're going to go look at this. This is found uh, in uh, chapter 32, Genesis In 24, we have the words up there. So Jacob was left alone. And a man, and this man, by the way, is not Esau, just so you don't get confused. A man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Now, I'm going to kind of get us to the punch a little quicker here. The mysterious man is, in some form or another, is God. Okay, we're just, I mean, there's, wrestling's about, it's God. This is God showing up somehow, wrestling Jacob. This mysterious midnight attacker is God himself. God jumps Jacob. God beats Esau to the punch. Oh, yeah? You think you're afraid of Esau? Wait till you mess with me, bro. Whoa! 
bam, you know, God's in there, you know, quite literally, he beats him to the punch. So they have this intense wrestling match. I mean, you know, I had my peer team look at this passage today, and we just had a trip thinking about, what does that tell us about God? I mean, what is, I'm going to show up and wrestle this dude. This will be so fun. Let's go, you know. Um, and, and we don't have time to unpack all of that, but this, this picture of God wrestling with Jacob, this picture of intense, kind of, you know, aggressive, intimate engagement in his life. And I, as I think about it, you know, what does it mean for a God who will wrestle us? What is it a God who will take the time to interact with us? What does it mean for a God who will jump us? But his efforts in doing this, I think what we're saying is God is, he's, he's trying to do something in Jacob. He's, he's pressing him. And when we wrestle with God in the stuff of our life, I think it can be difficult. I think it can be exhausting. I think it can be painful, soul-stretching. I think that's that image. If you ever really wrestled, like I was, a, I was a track runner, so I didn't, you know, none of that. But real wrestling is intense. I mean, you're wiped out. And I can imagine these are wrestling all night long. It's just a crazy image in my, my head that's what's going on there, okay? He's wrestling. Jacob's wrestling with himself, with what he's done. He's wrestling with God and all this stuff. And God's there engaging him with him, but in a kind of a crazy way. But even as Jacob wrestles with this, this God man, this mystery person, he has a sense that this person has something that he, he wants. And there's a blessing to be found from this person. Right? So he clings to him and says, I won't let you go. Jacob says, until you bless me. And then God asks him, kind of, a, what's your name? And I think we got to sit there. Why would, why would God ask? What, he knows what his name is. Why would God ask Jacob his name? And, and here's, here's what I think. And, and others, you know, speculation. But I think what's going on here is that this question is intended to stir up in Jacob's memory a, a scene from about 20 years previous. When he was alone with his father Isaac, wanting to get a blessing. And here he is again, wanting a blessing. And in that scene, 20 years previous with Isaac, Jacob's disguised himself as Esau. He's there, and, and Esau's kind of sensing something's not Something's off, but it seems like it's Esau, but it doesn't sound like Esau. And so Isaac asks him, who are you? Are you Esau? And Jacob's answer at that point, this is old relational strategies, patterns. Yes, I'm Esau. Out of his woundedness, his brokenness, his wanting the father's love and blessing in his life, and so I think God's bringing that scene back to mind. We've been here before, haven't we, Jacob? What's your, who are you? And this time, Jacob, the deceiver, is honest. And he says, I'm Jacob. I'm Jacob. Which, by the way, one of the meanings of the, for the name Jacob can mean deceiver, one who deceives. 
I think it's a confession scene. I think it's Jacob confessing, I have lived my life as a deceiver. I have lived with broken relational patterns. I get what I want to get by doing it the way I want to do it. I'll scheme, I'll connive, I'll cheat, I'll lie, I'll do whatever in order to, to make, you know, get what I want in this relationship. I think it's a confession scene. And so what's God's answer to Jacob? It's a swift, a swift uppercut to the chin, right? Bam! No, it isn't that. It's not that, right? God doesn't lay him out flat. He says this, and we have the words up there. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, well, tell me your name. And God's like, why do you ask? Then he blessed him, but he never told him (laughs) his name, okay? But Jacob had a sense who this is. So Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, this all-night wrestling match, and yet my life was spared. That's the gospel, right? God wrestling with us, in a sense, bearing our own wrongdoing and giving us grace when we should not receive it. Rather than punishment or anger, God meets Jacob with mercy and blessing. In the midst of our relational broken patterns, in our life, our family, God meets us with grace, with mercy. That's why Jesus came, right? To restore people, not only to God, but to each other. God will do whatever it takes to get us transformed, to change us. He'll even jump you in the middle of the night. You know, beat the the living daylights out of you. Maybe emotionally at times, but it's always in grace. It's always in a hope to help us find change and to restore broken relationships. Now, for those who don't know how, you know, I was just going to leave it there and go, you can go read chapter 33 and see how it all turns out when Jacob meets Esau. But I'll I'll give you a little snapshot, okay? So Jacob has this profound encounter with God and receives mercy and grace even when he's been a jerk for so long. Face to face with his own brokenness and broken patterns of relationship, and he's ready to go meet Esau the next day. And then so we, we pick up. Jacob, so the next day, Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. Oh, man. He, Jacob, went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times. Seven times. As he approached his brother, seven times he's down. Seven times he's down. I think there's repentance in every bow. I think there's humility. I think there's a recognition. I have really screwed this thing up. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to trust God. He's not scheming. He's not conniving. There's no tricks up his sleeve. He's just going to bow and make himself vulnerable before his brother and and see what happens. God, I'm in your hands. I think he's showing already he's been transformed. He's wrestled with God. He's he's learned something. And it's a beautiful scene. And we can't guarantee this will happen in all of our relationships. We can't, okay? But in this instance, we see God's transformation and healing, right? But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. Threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. 
and they wept. That's awesome. That's beautiful. That's what Jesus loves to do. That's what God's all about. God cares about family. He cares about bringing healing in our family and our broken relationships. We're going to have to change, but if we'll invite him in and let him wrestle with us and do a transforming work in us, we will find a new way forward in our family relationships. I'm convinced of it. So I want to invite the worship team up at this time. I want us to, to respond to this. There's a lot more we could say, but I want us to respond. And we're going to do it by a time of prayer. Really just what Jacob did before he met Esau. He prayed. And prayer, in one sense, prayer is an image of wrestling with God. Right? We wrestle with God in prayer. He wrestles with us. He engages us. He pushes us. He presses us. Helping us to change and grow. And so we're going to spend a little time wrestling with God in this arena of our sibling and family relationships. So just so you know, in a minute, I'm going to invite some of you to stand. So just not everybody, but some of you to stand. And here's some folks I've been thinking and praying about as I thought about this message. For some of you, you're on the Jacob end of things. You have become aware or are becoming aware of some broken patterns of relationship in your life. There's some ways you relate to siblings. There's some ways you relate to family. There's just some ways you relate to people in general that you are becoming very aware is broken and is not working. And you're just ready to confess it to God. You're ready to say, I, I relate this way. I need to be changed. Would you help me change? Would you give me mercy, God? Would you give me grace? Would you touch my life so that I could relate in some new ways? So that's one group. Others of you, uh, maybe you're on the other end. You're dealing with kind of hurts from unloving behavior of a sibling or of a family member. You know that your journey with God means you have to find the way forward is the way of forgiveness, not bitterness. And you have to be able to find in God the the power to forgive and to release when you've been, you know, maybe very much wounded and hurt. And so I'll invite you to stand a minute to to receive kind of the, the, the... the power of, and the presence of God is touching your life as you wrestle with how do I forgive? Would you help me? And maybe others of you, uh, the response for you tonight is simply to kind of stand in the gap and wrestle in prayer for a family member, a sibling, somebody who is far away from God, somebody who is far away from your family or relationship with you. <clears throat> and God's just calling you. I want you to be the reconciler. I want you to be the one that that stands in the gap and wrestles and prays and and initiates and and seeks to, as much as as, you you can, bring reconciliation with this family member. So those are kind of the three arenas. I want to invite people to stand.
Um, so if one of those is, is you, God's and the Spirit's tugging at your heart, I just want you to stand. I want you to just stand right now, okay? So if there, it's something I've said in one of those three groups, I just want you to stand, okay? I'll just give you a moment to stand. <clears throat> it takes courage, and it's hard work, but God says, I'm with you. Now, this is what I want us to do. Those who are seated around, I want you to go stand next to one of these folks, okay? So just, if you're seated and you see somebody next to you or somebody you know and you want to go stand next to them, I want you to go stand next to them. I want you to, we're going to pray. You're going to pray with these folks. You know, here's the thing. As a family of God, we get to stand with our brothers and sisters, as they are wrestling through their, their families and their siblings. It isn't something we do alone. We get to wrestle on behalf of our brothers and sisters. And for those of you, maybe you're, you, you know, you're not standing and you know, we don't have to have everybody stand that. It's totally fine. You can just worship and Thank God or pray quietly, whatever you sense you need to do. And my encouragement, because um, we're going to sing, but um, as you pray for those who stood, um, you know, if you stood, you don't, you're free to share what, you know, briefly what it is, but you certainly don't have to. We respect that, you know, your right to privacy there. Um, you can just say, I, I just, just pray for me, and that's fine. But if you want to briefly share, that's fine to help people pray. And so we're just going to have a bit of time of prayer. Uh, the worship team is going to lead us in some songs, and we'll just have a time of kind of wrestling with God with and for each other. So I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you love family. Thank you you love our family, my family, each person's family here. And that you want to bring healing into those families, into those broken sibling relationships or broken relationships with parents or just messiness of the whole thing. You want to help people learn to forgive. You want to help people find ways forward out of broken patterns of relationship. You want to raise people up to, to simply stand in the gap, to pray and say, part of your mission, God, in my life is to help bring reconciliation in my family. I want to be, I want to be on board with you in that. We just pray, Jesus, would you do your work? Spirit, do your work uh, as, as we pray. Um, amen. So we're going to sing, and you can pray, and then we'll, we'll come back after a few songs. <clears throat>